0: Welcome, everybody. This is the Reality Czar's Podcast, and we are hosts, Nate and Tony. Hello. And we have the awesome returning champion, Sal, the agorist. <laughs> How's What's it going, up, brother? How are you guys? <laughs> Dude, we're doing good. We are doing good. I was telling you a little bit before this that, like, I just put out a Bigfoot documentary. Tony, you never fucking told me you were writing a pamphlet on agorism. You're well, I did asshole. a while
1: a while back, I did. Like, <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Side in. So hold on,
2: wait. let let's, let let us let's back up for one second. We just got started. Let's back up. Yeah, what's yeah. the name of the documentary and and the name of the pamphlet? I need to know
0: both. I want to write both of these things down right now. Okay, it's called "The Search for Psychic Sasquatch." Okay, because we think that he is psychic and interdimensional. Not oh, necessarily a, a flesh and blood. I creature. hope you're wrong. I hope you're wrong.
2: You know, like, he's a that. nice
0: guy, dude. He's a nice guy, and he'll talk to you. Like, it's. it's...
1: So, you're um, me yeah. Agoras, I'm, I'm the path of freedom. Um, And I'm putting it out on Kindle. It'll be a minute before it's actually out there, though, because I'm figuring that out.
2: Hell yeah, dude. That's fucking you're awesome. In, you're in New Hampshire, right, Tone? Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Okay. Okay. That's like state is central, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Can it be, it's not as bad as
1: it is here. Is it Tony? You're worse than it's people are more bought into this idea of the state. So I think that like you get all the crazy shit out West cause they're trying to take people who are already kind of out of the state and drag them in. So you get a lot of like, people it seem more
0: different. militant out here, and I think people just take it for granted out there. They're like, "Of course, we love the you know, like, state." Like in no here, ways. they're like, "I want to smash your fucking head in with a hammer if you don't." <laughs> yeah, if you don't yeah. worship yes. communism.
2: Yes, but at the same time, it started where Tony's at, like all the Puritan mm. like nonsense, like progressives and that started in New England.
1: Well, Rhode and, Island's but, a pirate cave. Like we're like. Rhode Island stopped it because we did not like that shit.
2: Okay. And we wanted
1: to trade with pirates and do a lot of sketchy shit.
0: Hey. So, I'm well um, done with that. That sounds like <laughs> agorism to me, dude. They were the agorism. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think we had some slavery, too. But aside from yeah. that, it's.
2: They all had some slavery back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I was, yeah,
0: it's funny, man. There's some interesting stuff. The East coast is so much older than the West coast. And so there's like a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. There's just a lot more baggage over there with shit. Like I have a buddy that is like a Freemason and he was telling me, he lives down in Florida and he's telling me about like his lodge and they're still by like some sort of Southern rules down there. So he's like, yeah, black people aren't allowed in. And I was like, what? (laughs) He goes, no, they have their own lodge. He goes, they just – and I'm not allowed in there. I'd have to get permission from, like, the high-up chief, whatever, for me to walk into his lodge and, and same. I was like, Some parts oh, of shit. Florida, man, it's like <laughs> it's still the
2: deep south running. People don't realize that because everybody's moving in, into Florida, and they're having, like, a sort of culture shock. Like, eventually, like, they, they encounter deep south Florida. Like, you might move to Tampa. You might move to Miami or Fort Lauderdale, but eventually you're going to encounter deep south Florida. Yeah,
0: always a culture shock. Like, well, that's the thing too about Republicans. Well, go ahead. Sorry, your cousin does what? No,
2: my cousin lives like an hour, hour and a half north of here, and I went to see him. I counted like twenty eight Confederate flags. I'm like, oh yeah, this is a different world. (laughs) This is (laughs) a different
0: world, you know totally dude. Oh, what I was going to say is like uh Republicans like out from out west that are like moving there, like California Republicans are not the same thing as like an Alabama Republican. No. You know what I mean? They're like way softer. You know what I mean? Oh, cuz yeah. they have to be cuz they had to live in fucking liberal hellhole and so they had to like soften their edges. Well, so I almost it. think it makes a better Republican because it's like they're, they're you don't get the radical because they're not in their own little like fucking uh like echo chamber and they, and they don't have all the like institutional power. That's why you get the worst Democrats on the West and East coast, you know, in their little areas because they live in their echo chamber. They think everyone fucking agrees with them. They can get as extreme as they want. And it's just like taken for granted. But a Democrat like in Alabama has to be kind of on their toes a little bit. So you get the best Democrats, I think like down there and you get the best Republicans on the West coast. What I was going to say is like those fucking West coast Republicans that are moving to Florida, like like they they're fine with gay marriage they're fine with this that and the other you know they're probably for legalizing pot and stuff like that they're almost like a like a soft like statist uh, libertarian you know what i mean and then you put them down like with some deep south republicans they're like i don't like black people Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know i know they're you know it's it's funny man because there's such a conglomeration of people down here now it's like it really is a melting pot like, I remember I posted on Twitter recently there, I was at a bar with, like, a guy from Scotland, a lady from, like, I don't know, she was from, like, Illinois or something, and, like, a, my friend from North Carolina, and, like, everybody. The only thing we all had in common is that we were all in Florida escaping socialism and communism. Yeah. So it's, like, people from California, New York, New Jersey, uh, Europe, Asia, all over the world, they're coming to Florida because they want free, they want low taxes. That's wild,
0: I would love to move to Florida, but I would fucking melt, dude. I don't think I can handle it. We got our first comment. Shout out to Scott Armstrong from Rebunked. He says, what's up, gang? Uh, At the Agris Compound in the East Tennessee, much love to you all. All right. yeah, yeah. Much love, brother. Much love. Hell yeah, dude. So Scott, actually, he was from uh, Oregon as well. He was like in Eugene, and he got the fuck out of there. He's killing it, dude. He's doing great out there. So – yeah, and that's
2: where all those um, ranchers were in Tennessee. Uh, no, no, uh, Eugene, Oregon, and, and mm. places like that. Oh,
0: the uh, Bundy
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Was L- that in L- Eugene? There, um, yeah. No shit. Okay. Yeah, dude, that was some serious shit. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's funny. It's,
2: it's, it's one of the most untalked about crimes <laughs> that the federal government has committed in the last ten years. Is was when Barack Obama was president. The amount of land that this guy seized by by just by fiat, by executive order, he just declared all of this land, federal government property. And a lot of it was in like Nevada and like Oregon and Utah and like Bears Ears National Monument. The guy turned like tens of millions of acres or some shit like that into like a national monument with a stroke of a pen, which means you can't like build. You can't have a house. So it's like nowadays everyone's like, oh, why can't millennials afford a house anymore? It's like, well, because the federal government took all the goddamn sorry, all the all the property. You can cuss on here, it's fine. (laughs) And it's like,
0: I don't know, it it drives me nuts. Yeah, dude, they absolutely own so much land. Because yeah, I mean, so much. Like people talk about like overpopulation and this and that and the other. And I think that's all bullshit. But like you know, there's that saying that like. And I think that it's true. I can't do the math myself because I'm not fucking that smart. But I think theoretically, even if you gave every single person on the planet like an acre of land, they'd be able to fit in North America. Yeah. Like, and if you had them shoulder to shoulder, they would like fit in like Texas or something like that. It's something yeah, crazy it's like that. But all the farmland—that's so, the thing. You know, yeah, the on. federal government like owns 98% of Nevada or something like that. Something stupid like they—they've taken everything. It's, they it's, take it's everything pain, and then they call you they a fucking parasite while they're like having their money their hand in your back pocket. Yeah, they're absolute bastards <laughs> Shit man. well what have you been up to?
2: I just finished um, writing a book on oh shit um, yeah, it's actually it was a serious project. It took me about a year. I just finished, like, in the last month. And I have um, – you guys are the first to know. Brian McClanahan is going to write the foreword for it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with McClanahan, but he's a great historian. Um, he's got the Brian McClanahan Show. He's affiliated with the Abbeville Institute. Does amazing work. So he's doing the foreword now. Once that's done, I'm going to put it out. I'm going to have um, – Lily Lily Forrester is, is going to do the cover design cool. and everything. Hell yeah! In the, in the Agorist family, you know how I like to do it. And uh, yeah, it should be out within the next month or so. But like, it spans the entire like spectrum of re- of, of uh, revisionist history. I remember Sam saying like, and I, I can never find the quote where he said it, but I remember him saying like, Agorism is. He says something like, "You take a little bit of of." Uh, uh, Revisionist history, a little, little bit of logic and a little bit of Austrian economics. You mix them up in a pot, you stir it up, and you have you have a warism. So I figure, all right, well, you know, we the revisionist history stuff is so interesting to me because the government lies about so much of it, and they have to to maintain this fiction that they are this like benevolent entity. So it's really important that people learn the truth about history which is why I set out in, in the whole uh, project to begin with. And it goes through, um, the book is going to be called The American Experiment. and It's all about how America was like this experiment in government about how like, you know, if we can combine some elements of Greek democracy and some elements of Roman republicanism, and we can add these checks and balances and separation of powers, this whole convoluted system of like, trying to uh, restrain government and despite all that it still failed and i, I walk yeah. the reader through the whole failure but at the conclusion it's like despite all this it failed it's like at a certain point you have to give to just admit that the task itself was flawed and that was that that's the sort of whole premise of the book and i i'm excited I like about it, i think it's going to be good
0: I mean, and I almost honestly, dude, I think it was almost designed to fail on purpose. I think it was always about like consolidating power and in so many different ways. Maybe not like when it was first envisioned, like when it was like the what do they call that? It was the what the hell were they called? It was the something Confederacy. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was the article of of Confederacy was a little bit more decentralized. And then it was almost like a a coup that happened with the, uh, with, yeah, with, uh, Constitution, and so it was. It was like, anyways, it, it seems to me like it was designed to That's exactly uh, centralize right. power.
2: That's exactly yeah. what happens. Was we had the Articles of Confederation, and I cover this all in the book. Is we had the Articles of Confederation, and um, a cabal of bankers, of elites, financial interests, basically started to take over. And this was started back in the colonial era under Robert Morris, who uh, was a heavy influence on Alexander Hamilton. Who agitated for, among other things, a central bank. And that's where we have this legacy of debt slavery, where we're all debt slaves now to the welfare and warfare state. You know, I, I trace all of that back to Hamilton and Morris. You're exactly right. But that cabal of elites didn't stop with Morris. That that kept going, right? That kept going through the Civil War, the progressive era. World War One, two, and up till in, uh, today, and, and I in
0: 1913, man, is when those central banks really got their hooks in, right? And that's oh, yeah. like with the Federal Reserve, dude. That's what that was the death knell. That's like that was yeah. when it was too late. And like people talk about what was too late, but it seems like that was like the real nail in the coffin. That like we were just walking dead at that point. Like we well, didn't you know, know it right. yet. It was like the introduction of like uh, of a disease that was spreading. You know,
2: Yeah, yeah. You know what? The turning point that I, the way I see it, the way I, I wrote it in the book, the turning point is—I don't want to give it all away—but the turning point <laughs> is um, the Civil War, and it, it was—it was. Yeah, Lincoln, you're right. And, and what he did with the Civil War—if if Lincoln never um, waged war on the states for on behalf of the federal government, the horrors of the 20th century never would have been able to happen. People would not have accepted. The, the death tolls of World War I and World War II, those battles, the death tolls of those battles were outrageous. I don't, people don't understand the, you know, modern society can't cope with those numbers of casualties. The only reason why our grandparents were able to deal with that is because their grandparents dealt with similar numbers under Abraham Lincoln. And that's, and it's, it's all, it's all a chain of precedent is what it is, but it, it really, it starts with Hamilton, the turning point really when the people lost control was under Lincoln, and then all of that power was sort of consolidated and centralized in the Progressive Era, which created World War One and Two, and then the Cold War and the Middle East conflict, and Bush and Obama, and you know all the the digital, the state of digital feudalism that we all live in, unfortunately today. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Sorry, go ahead, Tony. Well,
1: I was going to say Lincoln gets his pass too because people look at slavery as being this rightfully horrible thing. But there's nothing about talking about like there, were, there would have been other options, right? Like you could have offered like, okay, we're gonna separate, we're gonna tariff anything made with slave labor, um, we're gonna offer refugee for any escaped slave, like.
0: It's and like, that's it. if Abraham Lincoln cared about the slaves, but he, he didn't. Did. He well, cared about so, keeping true, the union together. Yeah, so well, that was that's why he didn't do that because his priority was keeping his centralized power and not humanitarian Fair at point. all. See, yeah. <laughs> see, see, see what, was, what was going on
2: was they were taking tariff revenue, and they were using all this tariff revenue for public works projects up in the north. It was like bridges, roads, shit like that, all up in the north. And and the Republicans were able to go back to their constituents and say, I built a bridge, I kept all you guys employed, you better vote for me. So like, it was, you know, nowadays we call this pork barreling, right? When they you know, add on to uh, some bill, some stupid infrastructure project that's unnecessary, just to keep their constituents back home happy. That's what they were doing with tariff revenue. So when the South was like, "We're getting robbed here. We don't want to. We don't want to pay this tariff revenue anymore." All of a sudden, the Republicans were like, "If you guys stop paying the tariff, we're gonna. We're gonna. Our electoral monopoly is now in jeopardy. We can't let this happen." So they went to war over it and they 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 maneuvered uh, the South into firing the first shot. And I cover all that in the book. But um, the war was going so badly initially up until 1862. The South was winning. It actually looked for a time like like the idea of of, of a limited Republican government might actually survive, like like the Jeffersonian ideal might actually work. And um, at some point along the line, they realized that under Grant and Sherman specifically, they realized that war against civilians is very effective, right? To wage a war of terror upon a civilian population is a pretty good way of getting people in line. And that's what they did. And once they realized how effective uh, that was, they, they spread that strategy throughout the entire South. And within two, three years, the American people fell and they were conquered by the federal government, but but in order to get the those in order to get the soldiers to wage war against their own people to kill civilians to wage war against civilians to burn down houses and churches and hospitals and stuff like that to get people to commit such depravities the, the only way to do that was to turn it into a moral crusade. That's when it became about slavery. That's when it became this whole like moral thing, which of course was a joke because you know. Um, and I again, I walk through this in the book, but like that had the whole impact of creating this uh, feeling of animosity between Southern whites and Southern blacks that turned into Jim Crow and, and lynchings and so, so all of that, that that history of white supremacy dates back to ironically Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which, as he said, was was a, an act of war, and he was absolutely right; it had nothing to do with freeing the slaves. He could care less about them. He had said multiple times that he was an admitted and avowed white supremacist. He didn't hide that at all from anybody ever. And once in his career, I mean, in 1850, you couldn't get elected by saying that you believe in racial equality. Nobody would vote for you then. you know, That's that's the other thing. It's like people forget that like the North was just as racist in 1850. Absolutely. Yeah. New Jersey had slaves until like eight. They were the like eight, the last ones, like 1867 or 66 or something like that. So, you know, it's – people don't know history, and I'm hoping that with the book I can sort of move people along the line to, like, a real history education.
1: Well, also one of the things that is really – there's a lot of textile mills up here that are still here. You see, you'll you see the brick buildings. Um, what were they making their textiles out of? Oh, that cotton that they were growing in the south of slavery, right? right? right. Like, this was all one thing. So you can't be against slavery but then also be like, yeah, yeah, I want some cotton for my factories up here.
2: Right. It's, it's, it's very, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the history. People have no concept of history, but that's done intentionally, right? That's Like we have no idea what it was like for the average person today can't imagine what life was like. For somebody in in the Civil War era, or in World War One, or World War II, like to be a civilian or or a young male adult in 1917, or in 1861, or 1942, people have no concept of what that was like. And if, if they if we're able to impart to them what that was like, maybe we can prevent the wars in the future that the political class
0: will necessarily bring about. Yeah. Hopefully, yes. yeah, hopefully. I mean, that's one of those scary things is like people are really trying to push that we are going to have a war with Russia soon. And that's they are trying. And why, though? I don't get it. Like, that's a war that nobody like we don't want that. Like the people but, don't want that. But, you know what? You know what, though, Nate? It's funny you say that. I tell you, man,
2: I, I'm going to I want to send both of you guys a copy of this book because I learned as much as I imparted. In the course of writing this book one of those things that I learned is that there hasn't been a war that the American people have supported since the revolution yeah the, the American people have not been behind any one of these wars and Maybe America with,
0: hasn't with, had a defensive war
2: no, since like no. the
0: revolution and no, even no. then I mean that wasn't but it kind of <laughs> other th- other
2: than what yeah. the southern people went through in 1860 exactly but no but like I, you know it's it's I don't know. And, you know, Bob Higgs always talks about how war and the growth of government go together and how they expand. Uh, They sort of, there's like this correlation between the war and crisis and and Leviathan, as he calls it. And it's, 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 it's incredible how, how it matches up.
0: And I mean, that was just like the, the second government realized that if this is a time of crisis, then I get these special powers. That was it. Like, we were going to get um, – what do you need there? The car keys? I hung it up. But our crisis is <laughs> over now. Yeah. But no, so no, no, like no, no. The, the second thing never, never ends. End, the crisis – exactly. The crisis will never end because they don't want to give up those powers and they never – they absolutely never will. And that's just well,
2: see, like I'm like – I'm giving away the whole book now. But like Bob Higgs calls it like the ratchet effect. So it's like – like, the people, like, after the crisis, like, like subsides a little bit, the people get some liberties back. What's up, little man?
0: <laughs> Say hi. <laughs> He's turning one next oh, week. I got him. Oh, awesome. man.
1: <laughs> one. I know. It's wild, dude. <laughs> You're a number. <laughs> You're Crazy. Uh.
0: I'm sorry. So, what what did Higgs say? <laughs> oh, no, yes.
2: Yeah, so, like, like, so, so the ratchet effect. So, oh. like, once, so, like, there's this crisis, and then what, because of the crisis, the government assumes these emergency powers, and once the crisis subsides, the people never get all of the, they get some of their liberties back, but they never get all of them back. And oh. Higgs calls that the ratchet effect. And like, I trace that from like Lincoln all the way back to like like now with like the Patriot Act. And how, like, ridiculous it's actually gotten. Um, But, yeah, I mean, you know, Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. And that was during the uh, Civil War. Obama wrote the National Defense Authorization Act, which repealed habeas corpus. And it never went back into effect. People don't talk about that, though, because nobody knows about it. They're not going to teach you that in the public school nowadays.
0: Yeah, no, not at all. They're not even going to teach you what habeas corpus is because they don't want you to think that you have those rights. No, no. Because you know, for one second, maybe that means when your teacher says, do you have a, a plant in your pocket? Let Turn your pockets out. And I'm just like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. I learned in history class about habeas corpus, and you're not going to search and seize me right now. You know, they don't want you to know anything. You know they don't want you people to have like have any... those
2: rights anymore.
0: They're gone. Yeah, they don't. They
2: don't. They're yeah. gone. You, you, if you claim
0: off the, the cop laughs at you because yeah. they're
2: trained to know that you don't have those rights anymore. They're gone. So that's all, like people talk about the Constitution and like – Well,
0: that's the goofy thing is like you swore an oath to what? Like and now you're doing what? <laughs> yeah, I've got dear dear
2: friends of mine are conservatives, close friends of mine, and it's like they're like – this is the most important
0: election ever,
2: and the Constitution is at threat. And I'm just like, dude.
0: Oh, you mean for your man that was like uh, pushing red flag laws? Yeah, we definitely part, need that guy. Like, <laughs> what part of
2: the Constitution remains intact? Give me
0: one aspect, one clause. One well, they segment, like they one think, one think that Donald the whole Trump document. is going to save them, and I'm like, he's he's literally the guy that said, "Well, let's seize guns first, and then we'll do." Uh, What's the word that he said? Anyways, we'll do. Uh, anyways, oh, it, no, it's, it's bullshit.
2: Uh, well, seize the guns first. First due process. Second. Due
0: process. Second. Yeah, and you're like right. the due process is what. Anyways, you stupid ass. <laughs> the part of the. In other words, the fifth and the fourteenth amendments. So yeah. Forget about that.
1: Well, and even if you're, like, you just completely go by the Constitution, you can amend the Constitution any way you want to. So it's not like this perfect. Like I think people put too much faith in the Constitution to begin with. Like. That's not the source of your rights. Like, if you want to I use know. it as a template, fine, but it also might have been a power grab, it dude. That's the biggest the thing,
0: Tony. You just hit the nail on the on the. Yeah, you just goddamn it, I can't even talk right now. But Yeah, you, the source of your rights is not a piece of paper, and if the source of your rights are a piece of paper, then everything is up for argument then you then nothing means nothing because like if your rights are held on a piece of paper they can just change that piece of paper and then your rights are gone so what do we see the
2: the republicans need to maintain that fiction because if if, if your rights if it's true that your rights come from god like like you and i know that it is, is in fact the case then well guess what you what are you gonna do you're gonna give rights to immigrants you're gonna give rights really? to Iraqis and and, and yeah uh, and, and Arabs and Syrians and, and gay people uh, and, and trans people and,
0: and, and people yeah. <laughs> coming
2: from Venezuela and Cuba and Mexico. Like those they're, they're humans too with the same rights as you and I. No way. They can't not only that, but like go back to like 50 years ago. Like the British and the French could never admit that people in Africa had the same rights Ooh. because that's where all their colonies were. They have these vast colonial dominions of brown people that can never admit that those people had the same rights as them. So, you know, the state, it's almost like they they only say, they only admit uh, what's true is whatever's convenient for them, unfortunately.
0: Whereas yeah. you and I
2: know that that's not the case.
0: Well, yeah, man. I mean, try to talk to like even a Republican like that's like in their 40s right now. Try to tell them that like uh, because, I mean, this is what they think for everybody else. But it's like so maybe we can't hold some Arab dude indefinitely without a trial and we can just torture him whatever we want to. Like if the kind of – Dude, <laughs> if how, about, right anything? how about Enmore Al-Awlaki,
2: another case I cover in the book. This guy is an American citizen from Las Cruces, New Mexico, who is suspected of merely inspiring terrorist activity. Rather than be brought back to the United States, where he faces a, you know, a a jury of his peers decide his fate at the conclusion of a fair trial, as is required by the 5th and 14th Amendments, Barack Obama just has the guy drone to death, right? So, like, you know... No due process, no, no trial, no jury, no nothing, just executed. American citizen, by the way. And then he went out to kill the guy's 16 year old son from Colorado. Then three years later, however long it was, Donald Trump murdered his seven year old little girl. Yeah. You know, who's crying, who's crying to death in her mother's arms as she shot to death. And it's like. Not for nothing, but like these taxpayers have blood on their hands. It's like, what are you guys paying for after like what's going on? Yeah, here? Like, and yeah, I can blame God. it on
0: taxpayers, but we're kind of forced at you know at the fucking point of a gun. But you know who you can really fucking blame? Assholes that go out and fill out a ballot and vote. You're you know, voting you for those pieces enough of
2: blame shit. To go you, know? Down, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like don't enlist, don't vote. Stop paying your ta- – and I can't tell mm-hmm. you something that's illegal, but like stop paying pay
0: any tax that you can avoid legally. <laughs> that's why I
2: help people to use – to become your own bank and to use Bitcoin Cash and use cryptocurrency. Rather than using Federal Reserve notes as your medium of exchange, you can stop paying the inflation tax. You can stop paying sales tax. You can stop paying a whole th- – and the biggest one is inflation, by
0: the way. That's Dude, And progressives will start yelling at you. They'll start saying, you don't want to pay your taxes because you're selfish. And I'm like, I don't want to pay my taxes because I don't want little girls to die in fucking drone strikes. Like, the if fuck that's I... selfish. <laughs> if that's selfish, yeah.
2: then yes, you call me. I'm the most selfish guy in the world. I want no children to die by drone
1: strike. I mean, it is selfish in some way. Like, like, I'm gonna be happy at knowing that this shit's not happening. So yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: It's insane, but you know what? At the end of the day, the problem is that the wars can't end because then the elites lose control. Like there is, in fact, a, a secret cabal of elites, of elite financial interests who have been pulling the strings since at least the turn of this century, the century, and then around 1900, they can. You know, once there, once the second or third generation of their of those cabalists had died off like in the fifties and sixties and seventies. And, you know, one of them lived to be like a thousand years old, David Rockefeller, jr. But Like once those guys had died, they had died out, they transferred that power. What they did was they didn't just go away. They didn't just hand over power. It was just like, they didn't just disappear. They created institutions like yeah. council on foreign relations, the trilateral commission, uh, the chamber of commerce, all of these different institutions they've created and they radiate throughout society into what Murray Rothbard called a permanent government. And he is absolutely right. Because when you go into like even the more modern historical instances, when you take a deep dive into like the first Gulf War, it's all about Rockefeller oil. When you, and it's like, it's like it all, they all without fail come down to elite financial interests. That's why American kids go off to fight and die in all these wars around, around. You know, the globe, and it's a shame, it really is.
0: Yeah, man, it's wild. Have you looked into uh the Fabian Society at all? No, what's that? So, the familiar. Fabians, uh, you, you, I'm sure you've heard of this. So, the Fabian Society was this society of people they call, they were called the uh the Fabian Socialists, right? And so, this started, oh, I think it was 18, hold on, 18, it was uh, 1884. In 1884, it was created, and it was these group of folks that loved Karl Marx. They thought Karl Marx was fucking awesome. They just disagreed with their methods. So they thought, like, all these guys that are being revolutionaries and trying to, like, take it overnight, they're crazy and stupid, and they're going to get, like, a lot of, like, people are going to fight back and freak out. So their whole method was, like, and their their mascot, they have two mascots, dude, and they're fucking wild. So the first one is this tortoise, and you can still look at it. And it it says, like – Oh man, it's a, so. For the time we strike, we wait, but when we strike, we strike hard. So that's, like, their their whole methodology is this slow and steady and just eating away, eating away people's civil rights, this, that, and the other, and trying to, like, consolidate power. And, like, they're the ones that made the World Economic Forum. They're the ones that made the Council on Foreign Relations. Like, the Rockefellers were Fabian socialists. Like, it was this group of people that you can, like, tie together. It's fucking wild, dude. And the other one, and you can find this, like, on the Fabian Society, they had this, it's really pretty, this, like, stained glass. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing it's just like you can't you can't even fucking make this shit up
2: i know i know it's like if they tried to make it more obvious they couldn't the 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 part that i thought about that was craziest that i learned that i didn't know in my research that i came across um was all of this um a, a major impetus for this was in like the late uh 19th century like 1880s and stuff like that there was um Dude in England, it might be Cecil Rhodes. I could be getting the name wrong or something like that. Cecil Rhodes is a
0: motherfucker, dude. (laughs) It's probably the same guy. There's
2: some elite British guy. And it sounds this sounds crazy. Okay. I'm gonna sound like a lunatic for a second. Let me put my tin foil hat on.
0: His plan. You're in good company here. That's (laughs) okay. Good. (laughs) His plan was to
2: bring America Back into knowledge. the British Empire? Back into yes, the British that, was, Empire. that was
0: Cecil Rhodes. You know about it. 100%, this. yeah. And okay. on his deathbed, he left his entire fortune for that. He said, we are well, going to create a secret society. There's, all my money is in the creation for a secret society okay. to bring the United States back into the British Empire. 100%. So
2: what I learned in my research writing The American Experiment was that the uh, he had created two wings of this. Of this, of this monster, this this entity with this goal of bringing the U.S. back into the English Empire, two two arms of this were the elites in the in the U.K. who were headed under and organized under the the Rothschilds, and then in the U.S. where they were uh, headed underneath like the Rockefellers and the Morgans. So you had these these this in England you had the Rothschilds, and in America you had the Rockefellers and the Morgans, and they worked together. And you can follow what they did all throughout World War One, World War II, the Cold War, the, the Middle Eastern, all the bullshit going on now. It's, it's insane how much power they have. But everybody pretends like it doesn't go on. It's not real. You're a, cons- you're a the conspiracy
0: other- theorist. You're anti-Semitic for bringing up the Rothschilds. Well, you said the Rothschilds, so you I must hate Jewish people. You're like, well, <laughs> it's, it's well, crazy, Here's the do. thing,
2: though. It's like, it's like and I, again, I say this in the book. It's like. You, everybody knows, everybody understands, everybody admits that money influences the decisions of politicians and elected officials. But the moment that you begin to name names and name institutions like the CFR, the Trilateral Commission, once you begin to do that, then you're a conspiracy theorist. Then you're then you have the your Alex Jones level, and you have your and hat even on. if
0: you literally have everything to back it up. If you can be like, you can go here, 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 and they're like, nope, you're 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 crazy. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's that's crazy, why we get called conspiracy theorists. That's why I don't like like well, like you're calling it revisionist history. It was like we're just telling history, like the American yeah. government is the one that tells the fucking made-up bullshit. Like oh, they're, right. But they're but, reshaping but the, history, like they're yeah, true. It, it, but but the yeah. term
2: revisionist history comes from um Ralph Rako, who is a mm. great uh libertarian historian, and he he said that. He defined, and he's got this great book, which I recommend to everyone. It's one of the books that influenced me the most in my whole life, called Great Wars and Great Leaders, A Libertarian Rebuttal. And I was like this history buff, this nerdy history, U.S. Constitution. And I read Ralph Rako talking about how it's all a lie, and I'm just like blown away. But one of the things he says in this book is he defines historical revisionism as the unmasking of excuses used for war making. Damn. So I, I I like to think that the book that I wrote will hopefully contribute a little bit to that.
0: I like that quote. I'm yeah. going to use that later. I'm going to make turn that yeah. into a fucking meme. Yeah, for yeah. real. Oh, by the way, your memes are lit, man. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. It's so Elliot,
1: yeah. I feel like revisionist history gets this bad rap, but that's like isn't history by definition revisionist? Like. If you're well, not re-envisioning it, then you're. You know, history is written by the state. It is like, story, it's,
2: dude. It's it's, it's, it's all grand, fucking, yeah. But like, the state has to maintain this, this enormous lie about what a what a great people they are, what a great job they've done. You know, we you know they're here on this this big mission. You know, to to make. Limited government and, and a government of the, of the people, by the people, and for the And people. not anymore, it's though, bullshit. which is the
0: wild thing. It's like that used to be considered a good thing, limited government. But now they're like patting themselves on the back. by Look how big we're making government. <laughs> I know. Look how much money I <laughs> spent. Dude, <laughs> like, it goes to show look you. Look how much I,
1: control we have. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: sad. And, like, that's one of the things I do in the books. I try to, like, compare, like, even, like, the ancient Greek, like – like, aristocrats, like, how they can compare to, like, modern-day progressives. It's it's insane. Like, do you think Joe Biden was the first one to cancel a debt? No. They've been doing the same shit for thousands of years. And people fall for it without fail every single time. It's like, yo, read a book like think to yourself
0: like i just want to take a book and smack them over the head with it it's like come on but people. you know like in in those other ways it wasn't the government like stealing your money and then like paying these other like it, it was. yeah it's just so fucking different now because like there was like giant debt forgiveness back in the day like in the in the old like jerusalem they called it jubilee they would do it every seven years and but that was like i, I almost that was different even, though that was, it was, it was voluntary those yeah it was, it was, it was absolutely were voluntary This is like 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 this is like I'm putting a gun against your head and you're gonna pay for this this like trans like underwater basket weaving crazy like this person owes a hundred thousand dollars to this weird fucking and you're gonna pay for her college or I'm gonna put you in jail.
2: There's nothing spiritual or voluntary about it. Joe Biden is forcing me to pay for this shit. I don't want to pay for it. I'm forced to pay for it. You know.
1: Well it's just in the banker bailout too. It's the same exact thing with the loans for houses ten years ago. Where it's just like, oh, we we put a bunch of bad loans But it's it's the same thing where it's like, oh, we just gave a bunch of bad Uh, loans and now we're not getting our money back. So please bail us out. That was
0: the that was like the last after those banks seized all those houses first. They took all the houses back and then they were like, okay, now we're gonna need the money back. Like, that was, we had the that money was, and the house. Government so bail us out. <laughs> so,
2: so corrupt. The last part of the book was, was the bailouts. So that's like what's really fresh in my mind. And it it still makes me angry when I think about 700, what was it billion or trillion dollars? It doesn't make a difference at this point that they, that Bush wrote for TARP that was only supposed to be for, ex, you know, these industries or whatever this was he signed the bill in october of 2010 trouble assets relief program tarp 700 billion dollars let's call it for all for the you know the mortgage industry or whatever well by by he, he signed the bill in october by december within two months he issued an executive order a, you know uh, an edict essentially saying that all that money this is going back in 2010 when 700 billion was a lot of money. All that money can be used however the, the, the federal government sees fit. So, well, guess what? All of the cabal bankers, all of the elites, all of the, the, the same the elites that we're talking about, the Rockefellers, the Morgans, the Rothschilds, they showed up like pigs at the trough like for for a, for a taste of that money, of that $700 billion. And now what they've done is they've created a moral hazard where no company has any incentive – to save funds for a rainy day or for an emergency fund. So what happened was you had, throughout the 2010s, all of these airlines, instead of saving money where like a normal firm should or would, if you you were a multi-billion dollar company, you wouldn't have like a, you know, you wouldn't be operating at a baseline level. You would have some money in the bank, obviously. All these airlines didn't because they knew that if they ever hit a hard time, the federal government would bail them out. So they would spend all that money all those 10 years were spent use all that money was spent on stock buybacks to drive down the number of shares and drive up the the, the, the stock price to to line their own pockets of the CEOs and the and the, the rich, the elites. And what happened in 2020? They got a bailout for like 50
1: billion dollars. It's insane what's going on right now. The American people put up with it. I don't get and, it. And well, it's a system too, because if you're some CEO at an airline. You're just making a decision between is it cheaper to pay off a congressman or to save money for when shit goes down? And it's like, well, it's cheaper to of course and tone.
2: That's the inherent lesson of of the American system of the American experiment is that it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Like eventually, you got to accept the fact it just doesn't work. Like there's going to be incentives as long as there's a government to 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 appropriate the uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for to like appropriate their monopoly on violence. Yeah. There's going to be some firm out there willing to pay to exploit it.
0: A completely agree. Yeah,
2: it's unfortunate, but you know, and I had, I asked Brian McClanahan who's not an anarchist. He's like a, a brilliant historian. He's a federalist. He's like a minarchist, federalist, constitutionalist, libertarian, I asked him to write the foreword and I'm like anxious to see what he says because like my conclusion is that the government doesn't work. Like my conclusion is that this was all proof that it fails. So I'm interested to see what he says. I told him, I said, Hey, if you disagree, feel free to say that. As an agorist, I welcome the disagreement. So, you know, have at it.
1: I think you can make the case that you can get it to work with a lot of hard work for a short period of time. Now...
2: (sighs) There's like a couple decades, a decade. I mean, but the time that they wrote the Articles of Confederation to the time that Robert Morris and Alexander Alexander Hamilton corrupted it was less than 15 years.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, 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 it's nuts. You know,
2: everybody, everybody talks, everybody says Robert Morris. They call him the financier of the Revolution. But Murray Rothbard said that, in fact, the Revolution financed him, right? Because you know, he was he was telling everybody, "Oh, I got money." You know, we're gonna fight the British. I got money, this and that. But guess who was making all the money off these off these dead soldiers, these dead militiamen? And you know, shit doesn't change. It's the same thing with like today and like Vietnam and like Iraq. It's like who's making money off these dead kids? It's not you and me. Uh, you know what I mean? It's not us. And, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. the The, the circle of elites closes and gets smaller and
0: smaller. Um, You know That's a fascinating thing dude Yeah and yeah there's these Small groups of families that Are they only marry each other They have these like they intermarry With each other they keep it in the family It's these weird elite bloodlines Of like sociopaths That feel that they have like The right to rule And we're just cattle We're just ex-cattle
2: have, have you read um, C. Wright Mills The Power
0: Elite no.
2: Oh, you would. I need love to. It. I guess. Yeah. You would love it. It's all about how those elites like take over society. And I, I remember reading Rothbard, and he he keeps he kept quoting this guy. I'm like, all right, let me let me read this book, and uh, you know, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. And he goes through how the elites maintain power. It's an older book. It was written like the 50s or the 60s. But it's, it's, if you ever, if anybody out there is interested in understanding how these elites, these cabalists have taken over and maintained power, that's, that's the book you got to go to.
1: What's the book again?
2: The Power Elite by uh, C. Wright Mills.
0: Fascinating, dude. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) thinking about, I mean, speaking about like, old, disgusting, incestuous, like, reptilian families. How about that queen, man? (laughs) I know, I know. You know, and how many Americans give a shit is wild to me. Like, all the fucking statists around here had their flags at half-mast. I'm like, what the fuck? Come on, come on. (laughs) My son, yeah.
1: Yeah. The weirdest thing about this whole thing is they're going to have to reprint all of their money, not just in England but in <laughs> Australia, to put Charles' faces on it.
2: What happens to that? What happens to the Queen money?
1: I don't know, but apparently, like I was just, I found a YouTube channel today, Um, and she was talking about it, and just like the like how much money this is going. To I should cost. go to the bank and
2: and try to trade some in because I bet you pretty soon that'll be like when like it'll be like for our grandkids that'll be like a relic. I't yeah. see that shit. <laughs> you know it's funny. <clears throat> um, she gets a lot of crap in, in the royal family, rightfully so. but I'll tell you what. Um, for a for a monarch, she wasn't you, you, they could have done worse and i'll I'll give you two things that she did that I appreciate. Number one, and of course, it's all ceremonial. you know, she had little power, she had a little say over the issue, but she fired Winston Churchill. And Winston mm. Churchill was a psychopath. People don't realize yeah. this. People, Western civilization has taught people. Again, these history teachers. An alcoholic people, psych, Yeah, so oh, he, yeah. he, 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 he was a lunatic. Yeah. Um, Ralph rakos said he was a man who had no principles. He was guided by no principles, but rather by, by a, a, a love of war. That was his guiding star. It was a love of warfare. And he did more to create our current situation probably than anybody else. So she had the privilege, as the English monarch, of giving this guy his pink slip. So, number one, that's pretty sick. Like, the fact that she was able to fire Churchill, if I were her, I'd be like, you know, you're welcome. But the, the second thing that she did was, again, it was all ceremonial. She had very little say over it. But um, over her, the course of her reign, she presided over the decolonization of the English Empire to a large extent. Not always by their choice, <laughs> right? Yeah. Sometimes, like in the case of India, the people would rise up and kick them out. but um, you know, it did work. and you know, I do give her credit for that just more than you could say of King George or King or Queen Victoria or you know any of the others you know who were mostly yeah, I don't want to give like her past. too much
0: credit for that. No, but you're right, absolutely. yeah, but time are ceremonial changing. yeah yeah times were changing, and it wasn't popular anymore to have like imperial little king- little kingdoms out you know and out anymore like people were looking at that like it rightfully should be looked at as disgusting and evil <laughs>
2: you know that yeah. said, her father was a war criminal, her yeah.
0: father probably should
2: have been brought up and 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 probably public. her father's
0: father and her father <laughs> before <laughs> yeah, them <laughs> yeah, right
2: so specifically her what her old man did um in the first two world wars, you know, at least the prime ministers under his reign, under his control, what they did was absolutely insane. That was war crimes. But, um, you know,
0: I don't know. She, I I don't know. You know, I guess they could have had worse. They could have had worse. And I honestly, dude, I almost wonder if it was like time to take the old bird out. Cause like maybe she, cause you know, I don't want to give her too much credit, and, and because I hate the British Empire like that passionately, oh, yeah. hate the British Empire, yeah, and I and I look at the monarchs like they're just the, they're just parasites. They're these people they that are. have just been sitting there, and like they, I, I don't know if you saw that where they have like laws in order to keep the wealth within side of the royal family, so they're exempt from the forty percent like uh, the death tax, basically like the inheritance tax. Like for every other British person, if like your dad dies, the state takes forty percent, and then you get to keep the, the other 60 but they are it like written into law they're excluded because they want to keep the monarchy rich so but they see, have, like, you have to like, understand that in of itself is an improvement because back in
2: yeah. the day it was like you didn't even get to ask right they were just yeah. like you got they your money was their money right that's like, true that's true in the medieval times like with english queens english king and queen said it was like pay taxes they don't pay taxes you pay taxes to them
0: yeah you know what
2: i mean it's like they don't they don't pay taxes they collect them it's like in america when a politician complains about well i
0: mean you were literal property of like your lord yeah, like your exactly. landlord right. like yeah the right. feudal system you were you were their property right it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's you were like- their inheritance like when the lord dies then you are his sons now you you're <laughs> his property that gets passed down it's yeah. like living in new england today what i was gonna say is like uh but you know what's wild is that like i really think this new king charles i think he's so much worse that's why i think they were like taking taking her out because they're consolidating power right now they're like really shifting like this new whatever whatever you want to call this like the great reset that they're trying to like implement like you know, Charles is the first one that started using that language, like before Klaus Schwab, like he's been in that shit. Like I almost think that he's actually in charge with World e- Economic Forum. Like he is so all about it. He is such a fucking new world order kind of guy. Oh, yeah. And now that mommy's dead and he's in charge, it's almost like now he I mean, I don't know, because they supposedly don't have that much power, but they kind of do, dude. Like oh, I, people, I it's this people. weird thing. You know, it's it's
2: actually kind of crazy. People don't understand how much power they still have. You know, we hear as Americans we hear, you know, king and queen, like constitutional monarchy, like it's outdated now. These parliament, the prime minister, they have control. What they don't understand is that the king and queen, in a constitutional monarchy, retain a significant amount of power. Okay, so no country in the realm. Goes to war without the, without the monarch's permission. Number one, <clears throat> you and, and not only that, but no. If they want to recall a prime minister at any point, they can. Right? It's all supposed to be ceremonial. You haven't had a guy do it, but once you get somebody in there to try it, you're going to find out real quick how it works. Right? If if Charles tomorrow <clears throat> said Jacinda Ardern, you know, you're come 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 to my office. You know, we got to talk. She has to show up. People don't understand that. That's true of a lot of countries around the world. Still, like there's like thirty different what they call them. You know, now they don't call an empire anymore. They call them realm countries, which is like you know the politically correct term that these neoliberals will will use now. But it's the same shit. But like, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. They they retain a significant amount of power, not only that, but also influence within the government. Mm -hmm. Like if they if they tell like a like a MP member of parliament. I don't support this bill. You know, our family—we don't—we don't want this to, to pass. Well, that carries significant weight throughout the country. If they make a radio address, they can influence public opinion. So it's
0: like they're not powerless at all. Well, I also think so much. Like the British were—they really were the first ones to really. Uh, they do wild shit, dude. And they're the ones that like, they're groundbreaking. They like figure out these like power and control methods. And like, so one thing that I think about is like the United States was like built in opposition to the monarchy, right? Like we didn't want to have a king, but we had this type of government that like, I think was like monarchy 2.0. It was smarter because it's like, okay, if there's one king and shit's going bad, and everybody's hungry, and there's inflation and shit. Who who do we blame? The one guy in charge, the king. We can look at the king and he's like, "Like, look, your head's gonna roll, or you're gonna step down. One or the other. What do you want? You know." But the way they do this in these like democracies is now this is like separated. Like, so now who's in charge? Well, the Republicans in charge right now. You know. Like Donald Trump is in charge. Well, now this shit bad happened. Okay. So then all the ire goes towards him and they're like, oh, but we can just vote him out. Then we get the Democrat. And so it's it's this way that they like diffuse the righteous anger and like people, you know what I'm saying? It's like it diffuses like the like where we normally say like we need that motherfucker gone. And they can just like, well, we'll just have to vote harder next time. And so that's kind of what they've done in England where the queen sort of like, they like stepped back and they were like, well, I'm just a figurehead now. You can, you can vote over here in parliament and you can, you can fight over who's going to be like MP. Right. You can fight (laughs) over who's going to be, you know, this and that and the other. But really, I think that bitch has a lot, like, I think they still have a hell of a lot of power and then they don't get the blame for shit. They can be like, oh, it was parliament. They did it. Right. You know,
2: honestly, dude, I think you're on the money. I think you're absolutely right. The way I see all this is, like, like back in the day, like, like almost going back to, like, prehistoric times almost, you had, like, warring tribes, basically, of, of, of different peoples competing for, like, control over some geographic territory. And, um, you know, eventually people came to the realization that rather than, like, you know, Tribe A versus Tribe B, fighting over, you know, Roritania, let's call it. That's where Rothbard's fictional state was always. So rather than fighting over control of, the, of that land, they would say, all right, well, you know what? We'll come to a power sharing agreement. You know, every four years we'll have this contest and the people will decide if you rule or if I rule. And, you know, rather than fighting and killing in the fields and you know murdering each other, we'll do it this way. it will be more civilized. And that's, that's what they did. And um, I didn't have time to get into it in the book, but you can trace all of this back to like, again, prehistoric times, like caveman times. There's a great book by uh, uh, anthropologist from Yale, James C. Scott, <clears throat> you guys might be familiar with. He's a pretty famous anarchist who uh, <clears throat> detailed all of this in a book called Against the Grain, which is just phenomenal. But like he goes through how like these early states formed around agricultural societies because they were able to apportion taxation based on the amount of grain that you grew. And that the the societies that popped up in like coastal estuaries who weren't um, as dependent on grain and that that weren't as easily tax apportioned remained free the longest. And here in Florida, the Calusa Indians. Yeah, it wasn't until Andrew Jackson, like 150 years ago, brought them under control of of, of some tax paying government. So you know, it, it's interesting, like the whole history behind it, and people have no idea. And I didn't get I didn't have a chance to get into all that in the book. Like I started with like the Greeks and like the traditional Western society narrative. Like I didn't get into like anything pre the Greeks, but. Maybe one day. You know, I would like to. Next
0: book. Yeah. Well, like
1: you said before about the start of the show where you talk about, like, the land grabs. Like, okay, we don't have land anymore. So you don't have resources. So now we're dependent on you to grow our grains.
0: Right do you want to hear a fucking perfect example of what you're talking about is because like they had to like, even at a small scale, they had to think about it again. So like back to somebody that you brought up earlier, Cecil Rhodes, um, I was listening uh, to a history podcast, actually a little bit about Cecil Rhodes and about how the way he basically conquered South Africa. So like he actually has a country that was named after him, like, uh, Rhodesia. What the heck is it? Rhodesia that I can't, what's, what is it called now? Uh, gone zimbabwe zimbabwe there you go it's zimbabwe now but it was yeah it was named after cecil Rhodes. he literally had his own fucking country and but so what he so he started over there his family brought him over to africa because that's what like rich british people would do they would go and like send their their kids to go get hard right they would like send them over to africa to the colonies Right. So they would send them over there to kind of, you know, like wet their whistle and have them like get like learn control and this and that. So they they put them in charge of this like cotton company because this was actually uh, like during the Civil War. And so during the Civil War, like the cotton trade was like really fucked up because everybody was fighting with each other. Right. And so like they were looking for cotton in other places. And so now it was actually like it was actually profitable to be growing cottons anywhere else in the colonies. Right. Than America. So they were trying to grow cotton in africa and so that's what that's what he got sent down there and his cousin was like dude check these diamonds out have you seen these and he was like fuck those diamonds look awesome so he basically like quit for and like took his family money and went down to south africa and started like diamond mines And because there's a shit down there, you know, and he fucking ended up starting to beers like that's all him. That's like all that fake scarcity about how diamonds aren't fucking rare at all. There's shit tons of them. But they, anyways, that's a different story. But so he's sitting there and he's like, fuck, man, look at all these black guys out here. Look at all these tribal tribal people. How do I get them? It's almost like they don't want to work for almost nothing. And he's like he goes they grow their own food they have like they have their own land they can grow their own food they don't need this thing that I call money they, like, they don't want it And he's like so I'm trying to give him like almost no money And I want him to work for me all day on my In my fucking diamond mind. I want to abuse him all day and they just won't do it So then he started like you watch Him and, and like the wheels are turning in his Head and he's like trying to figure out a way to do This and so he actually started Doing taxes he started like taxing Them basically for just existing And then he <clears throat> would little by little start Appropriating and like saying oh well black People can't own property anymore so then they Couldn't own the land so he would take the land out from under them and so then they couldn't grow their own food and so he made them dependent on the state and made them dependent on him to feed themselves and so then he was able to basically turn them into tax cattle and and to like put them in this whole like debt-based system and it's fucking wild you're watching government from no from nothing like dude it sounds
2: like what the federal reserve has done but in in like fast motion
0: well, like, because no one describe, wants the you. Yeah, Earth did has done over the last hundred years to us. A hundred percent, dude. Because think about like your grandma or something, right? Let's say your grandma owns this property and her father built this house. Well, and on this land that you guys cultivated, this is like your family lineage land here. Grandma doesn't actually own it because if grandma gets behind on her property taxes, for just right. existing, the house is on there. Then the government can come and swoop it in. So she's absolutely. Do forced to participate in the system to do something to earn money, to pay taxes so that she can pay her property taxes. They force you into the system. Like you can never actually own something and be self-sufficient on your own. Like those, like those African tribes they are like, we grow our own corn. We grow our own food. We like, we're happy in our own community. I don't want your money. Like, <laughs> I don't I want to spend 10 hours a day doctor. in my mind. Yeah. I guess I want to live with my wife and my kids and like, You know, and so it's just wild, dude. And so that was just like it was enlightening in that way. I was like, man, that's what government does to us. They force us into this like system where, yeah, it's disgusting to
2: think and to think that a lot of those African colonies that Europe had were only the real horrors were only were, were in the future right at that point in the Civil War era. Right, they were the the, like the the Belgian Congo, the horrors of the Belgian Congo,
0: dude, for rubber. All that Good God, was, was King, the what's his name, Leopold? Yeah, that motherfucker. He killed like ten million people, dude. This was at the same time that the British
2: were being drawn into World War One on account of the Belgian atrocities, right? Which is yeah. ironic because the, the British public was being told that the Germans. We're committing these awful atrocities in Belgium, which were all turned out to be a lie, all without fail. They were all – these were photos staged in opera houses in Paris and other allied-controlled cities throughout Europe. They were completely made up by uh, the allied propagandists. Then the British cut cables running from Europe to the U.S., from Germany, so that only – so that they had a monopoly on propaganda in the U.S. And then they started feeding all these Belgian atrocities to the U.S. and U.K. public. And before you know it, the the U.S. and U.K. were had to join into World War I. But meanwhile, while they were making up the Belgian atrocities, Belgium actually was committing atrocities of their own in the Congo. They were cut off the arms of these poor Africans. I mean, if you didn't meet your daily quota, <clears throat> you would be like have limbs amputated. Yeah, I mean, it's just really horrible, horrible stuff. Um,
0: Yeah, they uh, figured dumb things out. They're like, well, we can't cut off a leg because then they won't be able to work as much. But we don't want to be able to really run either. So let's just cut off like some of their foot. So then they'll still be able to work, but they won't be able to run. And they won't be like they were just sick and fucked up and evil, dude. Like that King Leopold was such a piece of shit. And the worst
2: of all atrocities, by the way. That occurred in World War One was what the British themselves were doing to Germany. Right? The <laughs> British hunger blockade of Germany in World War One was one of the most awful events. People, you know, again, you'll never hear this in public school, not in a you know Western public school, not in an Anglo-American public school, that's for sure. But after the war was over, the British had surrendered. But the but the I'm sorry, the Germans had surrendered. But the British maintained a blockade, which on, by the way, which was the throughout the whole course of the war, it was on food and medicine, which was, a, you know, a violation of international law. It's a violation of the rules of warfare, even to this day. When you impose a blockade on a people, you don't you don't blockade the civilian population from food and medicine. But this is what the British did. The Germans surrendered. They maintained this blockade for over a year after the surrender. In order to get them to sign this, this lopsided treaty of Versailles, yep. it was the only way to get the, Germ- the Germans to sign this treaty. And once the German minister signed it, Matthias Ersberger, he signed the, the treaty of Versailles, went back to Germany, and was immediately assass- assassinated by German nationalists, um, who, of course, you know, in the long run, this would give birth to Hitler and and not only Hitler, but it would give birth to Italian fascism and Mussolini. It would uh, – <clears throat> again, I go through this in the book. The Treaty of Versailles had such you know, widespread effects throughout the war from Vietnam to China to Russia to like everything that we're dealing with today can basically be traced back to World War yeah. One. So. Yeah.
1: And you talk about not learning history in school. I think one of the problems is that we learn it in a way where – I'm going to look for my military fight in your military. But the reality is that your military is going to attack my directly. Like it's going to attack people directly. It's going to starve them. It's going to destroy medicines. It's going to cut them off from needed resources. And that's what, like, I don't think people get before the war. Like, it's just like. like, They're
2: taught not to get that though.
1: Yeah, exactly. they're, they're, They're
2: indoctrinated into believing Soldier versus soldier. It's going to be an honorable war. They've never yeah. had an honorable war. There's never been such thing as an honorable war. No,
1: because when you talk, talk about, like, the, it's illegal, it's hundred, like, it doesn't mean shit. Dude, <laughs> like, the 100,000 like, Japanese And World civilians.
0: War One was such an interesting time, too, because that was, like, right around the, uh, the what the fuck do they call that? The something, the, oh, gosh darn it, what do you call that? Uh, the revolution where everybody started getting, um, Industrial oh, Revolution. Revolution. No, the Industrial Revolution oh. is what mm-hmm. I meant. And right. so like they started mass producing all these crazy shit and they had all these like crazy weapons that they had never had before. Right. And so it was like an interesting time where they were just like, they didn't even know what they were doing. Well, and they were just like, why. it was all theoretical. And they were all like, well, I think we can. That's when they started like from like a whole war might have like a th- like 500 casualties in a day. And it turned into like, 20,000 in a fucking hour, and people like, Oh shit, we had never seen murder on this fucking scale before. You are absolutely right. That's weapons. That's one of the things that I mentioned
2: in the book is that, like, like, they're using the old school strategies of warfare. Where you just you know you have a line of guys marching to a line of guys, but now they're doing it with modern weapons. Yeah, right. It's so it's like, yeah, just
0: mowing people the down.
2: battles. The casualty yeah. counts in these battles was unreal. The Battle of um, Somme was, I think, it was the deadliest battle in human history. This is just a battle, right? This is not even a war. This is a battle over a million casualties in just a dude. battle. That's Poshendale, the Marne, um Verdun, they all had similar numbers. Hundreds of thousands we're talking about. Each one of these battles, 700, 800, 600,000 men died. Died yeah. for for politicians, for for JP Morgan and John fucking Rockefeller. That's why dude, hundreds dude. of thousands of know, people died. So-
0: You also, if you like, if you trace that shit back, you can see where, like, like the Russian Revolution never would have come to pass if these fucking American bankers hadn't given them all that fucking money. The Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, the all those, the Morgans, they they funded them. Yeah, they like they they the whole thing, like eight million dollars, and sent him on his way back to Russia. Morgan,
2: Morgan had had lent. I forget the exact amount. He lent a shit ton of money to England, France, and Russia. So, like, in order for him to make his money back, he needed a decisive victory. He needed the U.S. to enter the war. The American public was dead set against not getting involved. Thank God we had these oceans to separate us from this nonsense in Europe. Thank God we weren't part of this European civil war is what it was. And Woodrow Wilson campaigned his the the war broke out halfway through his his first term and his re-election campaign his his motto the theme of his campaign was he kept us out of the war that's how he got re-elected less than six months after winning re-election it was all a lie the whole time he was planning on getting us involved in the war and you know again i go through all in the book about how he provoked the Lusitania in Germany into firing on on the Lusitania, and how he he dragged the American people, kicking and screaming, into that war. And uh, thank God it was we were only in it for a, what a year and a half, but we still had time to lose over a hundred thousand people.
1: And yeah. it reverberates like okay, so World War One was trench warfare, so. Like, it's pretty disgusting being in a trench. Like, you, me, a thousand other men just shitting, pissing, eating all in this trench. Now, if you look at all the World War II propaganda from Germany, they were talking about, like, diseased people and germs. They were using all these metaphors. Now, do you think people who had, like, this trench war experience where, obviously, like, germs would kill people? You'd be so fucking traumatized by that.
2: And like, and like, the, but like, and you're absolutely right. And the fucked up thing about it, all of it is, is that trench warfare starts under Lincoln, right? The first instance of trench warfare that we see is in uh, <clears throat> uh, Northern Virginia, in the Tidewater region, where Robert E. Lee and the, the Southerners, the Americans, are trying to fend off Grant and the invading force, and also against Sherman in Atlanta. The, the the Southerners dug in trenches to, to to protect them from the shells. They were dropping shells right into the city. They could care less if it hit a civilian's home. It could hit an orphanage full of kids. They could care less. Sherman said, "I have to make the the uh, what do you say? I have to make the old and young, rich and poor alike, feel the hard hand of war." And all that trench warfare starting in in civil war. And by the way, at the same time that Lincoln is massacring civilians in America, Otto von Bismarck is doing the same thing in Germany. So the American people are becoming accustomed to all this horror, all this bloodshed, to trench warfare, like you're saying, Tone, while at the same time the Europeans are becoming accustomed to all this horror and this bloodshed and this trench warfare in Germany because Lincoln's uniting the American states, uniting, I say, I think Tom DiLorenzo was the one who said Lincoln made a desert and called it peace, right? That, that's what he did. And Bismarck was doing the same shit in Europe. But without these two events happening, the people never would have tolerated World War I and World War II. And, and World it, War One was so unpopular. Look, at, it created the Russian Revolution, right? Lenin yeah. was a product of the of, of the unpopularity of, of the, the first uh, World War and I don't know if you guys read um, Farewell to Arms by Hemingway. But, like, he captures this one scene where, and I talk about it in the book, at the Battle of Caporetto, the entire Italian army is deserting. They're, the whole army is like, we don't want to fight. Like, the one guy says to this other guy, he's like, what brigade are you guys in? And he's like, uh, the, the Peace Brigade. He's like, we're done fighting. And then you have the Christmas Eve truce. Of dude, I love that
0: one. Yeah, that's where, absolutely where beautiful. Dude. British and German troops go out into no man's land,
2: which was like—you have to understand what no man's—they were was. in
0: trenches at that time too. It was like this. That's ugly, what I mean: muddy, shitty.
2: Yeah, and and like no man's land was like nobody ventured out to no man's land. It's like this is where people go to die. But they heard they heard uh, Silent Night playing, and they started playing, and then they heard him playing in response. Then they came out. They were playing soccer. They were having drinks. They were celebrating Christmas Eve. When the when the elites, when the, the politicians heard about this, they went bonkers. They went nuts. They couldn't believe it. They ordered both sides back to their trenches, where they had to go fire upon the men with whom they had just broken bread for Christmas. It's it's insane. The what what you know people will do for for politicians. It really is.
1: That could have been the end of World War One. Right there. it should have been.
0: been. Yeah. It, I have to, been. it I have never should
1: have happened. I have to ask you a really dumb question, Sal. Mm. So I don't think this Please. is true, but someone once told me, and I've never been able to confirm this, the Ferris wheel was invented during the Civil War. And I just want to know whether you've ever heard of this. As I've never a way heard of that. as a way that people would go on it and shoot people. So basically you're on a Ferris wheel, and as you go up towards the top, you'd shoot, then you would load your rifle, you'd go back down. And it just basically becomes like... like Dude, really let me
2: tell you something. I, w- I would not be surprised because they really came up with some crazy stuff during this era. There was one battle where um, they actually they couldn't get to the Southerners. They were entrenched. And I forget if it was like Chickamauga or Chancellor'sville or wherever it was. But they actually like tunneled underneath like where they were. And then they tried to, like, blow them up from under under the ground. And, like, the Southerners were, like, they were saying, like, all of a sudden, like, there was this big boom. Like, I wasn't in my tent at the time, but thank God, all of a sudden, the ground just collapsed. And, like, there was all kinds of horrible stuff. But, um, you
0: know, they, they really did try to come up with, like, innovative ways to murder people around this era, Dude. And it wouldn't surprise me, too, because, like, so much of the things that, like, we have, like, weird little technologies, you find out later... That like these were like, like you said, Tony, something like the Ferris wheel that like you take like your girlfriend on to go and smooch her when you're up top right. and stuff like so much of those like things were invented to kill people. Like it, it's like so much of these things uh, like it's a military industrial complex. that has like a swell of money that they took from you and they they're just like trying to come up with ways to murder each other. And they're like, eh, well, maybe it doesn't work for that. Uh, we will give it to the citizens and they can do something stupid with it. Well, like so many of, technologies. Are-
2: <laughs> all of NASA. The entire yeah. space shuttle program, right? All of that is a product of World War II Operation Paperclip, uh Werner von Braun, who had come up with the rocket and Hitler used it to send V2s into London. <clears throat> and then when we rolled in with American tanks, we took Werner von Braun, sent them back to America. We're like, All right, you can die or you can come work for us. So they all came back and worked for us, where we sent them to the moon and stuff like that. And you know, eventually – yeah, I know. And then, you know, eventually you get Elon Musk
0: and, you know, the rest is, is history. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man. And I, all I was going to say a little bit earlier was just uh, what set up um, – how world war one could even be possible too, is someone was giving me a little bit of more historical context that it was like, uh, what set that shit up really was that, okay. So let's say like in the 16, 1700s, things like that. Um, like the Europeans would just like fight. They would just fight because it was like for sport. Right. So it was almost like I've got my team and you've got your team. It was like a football football game. Right. And like, I had like 2000 troops and you had 2000 troops and then we'd have them go shoot at each other for a little bit and have this little skirmish. And then like maybe five people would die and then we'd come back and and that's like how wars were. And it was kind of like strutting and like, Oh, I won this one. Well, I won this one because like all these monarchs were Mm -hmm. fucking related. You know what I mean? All these guys, they were all fucking weird inbred cousins and shit like that. And so they're like, they kind of would fight over a border maybe, but it was all just like for pride and bluster and things like that. But then after the French Revolution, you have uh, uh, one of the Napoleons, right? The Napole- that, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, like started like really doing some shit. And like, he started like the mass murder where he would just start getting like every single boy that could hold a weapon. Like he started like the death toll where he was like, I, cause there's a quote from him. He's like, I, I run through 30,000 people a week or something like that. Cause he says I can expend the like 30,000 a week because he, he started war on a different scale and put, and then what it did is it made uh, the stakes different. You know what I mean? War wasn't just about, like, a football match where, the like, we were all proper and we'd stand in line. We had these, like, beautiful, immaculate outfits with all the little horns on our head and, you know, all the, like, the little dumb <clears throat> shit and would right, shoot right. each other. Like, he turned it into a motherfucking different <clears throat> thing. And so, and then around that uh, technological age where they started getting these crazy weapons, like, all these people were, like, used to that kind of fucking war and then they had all these new toys and then it really fucking like it that was another building block
2: you know it's 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 interesting because in a way the monarchs was almost an improvement right from like the democracy of greece where you have like the city states would just be you know massacring each other and like the roman republic would like you know them and carthage and the wars would just be just Terrible and barbaric and just bloody and just ruthless. And then eventually, like you're saying, you would have these monarchs where they're all interbred and interrelated. And it was almost like, you know, you're not going to go with your cousin Bob, are you? You know what I mean? So it's like, eventually, like, you know, for the medieval times, like there was wars, there was conflict. But it was it was a little bit headed off a little bit um, to a certain extent. And that was even the case up until World War One, where you had. um what was it? Tsar uh, uh, Nicholas II and Kaiser Wilhelm were cousins.
0: They were right? cousins. They were, and yeah, they were and cousins. their grandmother was the queen at the time in exactly. England. Exactly. Like right. like, yeah. and, and and Wilhelm said to Nicholas, like,
2: come on, man. You know, Cousin Nicky. You know what I mean? We're, come on. Are we really going to go to war with one another right now? And the the Russian uh, military at the time was like, we have to mobilize. The Germans are mobilizing, and the German military was like Wilhelm. We have to mobilize. The Russians are are mobilizing, and it was all, almost like one hand washes the other kind of thing. But it's like that that interbred sort of in the, sort of that monarchy, that system of monarchy, was almost like it was almost keeping Europe afloat. But the problem was it was too unstable. It was way too yeah. unstable of a system to like maintain society's affairs this way. It was bound well, to I mean,
0: float at some point. Yeah, well, and that was the difference too, right? With Napoleon, he wasn't he was blue, he wasn't blue blood. He was a commoner that made his way up there, and then he was declaring himself emperor, you know? And so he was right. never considered an equal <laughs> amongst all of them. And so, like, I think, and he was also, well, I mean, he was a fucking psychopath, and he wanted to take over the fucking world. So, I mean, he was also a piece of shit. But he was also looked at like uh, the anti-monarchy, and, you know, in this weird right. way. And that was like the first step in this. Like, And well, and that's sort of what a lot of people say world war one was about, was about trying to take down uh, the monarchies and trying to put republics and democracies in, in their place. It's and, so, and that's maybe know, it's, what the bankers wanted, you know, because they so could actually have more power and control. All, uh, and all the history,
2: how it like, just like comes together is, is so interesting. Um, you know, in the, the Franco-Prussian War of 1870, when uh, the Germans beat the French, right, they had this um, illustrious ceremony in the, the Palace of Versailles, right, where they crowned Wilhelm the Emperor. And it was just like the French were just completely humiliated. They, not only had they lost, but now one of their main palaces was the location for Wilhelm to be crowned the new emperor. Of their territory, nonetheless, right? It's a very humiliating affair. So that's why, at the end of World War One, where did they hold the treaty? Where they that the French now? Now the French were victorious. Where did they hold their treaty with Germany? House yep. of Versailles, and it was sort of like a like a spit in your eye, kind of kick you while you're down, kind of thing, on the French's part. And that's why the Treaty of Versailles was so lopsided. It was so unfair. It was so unstable of a treaty. Germany was forced to sign – they were forced to agree to um, an, un, an unspecified amount of reparations, basically just saying, like, hey, start start sending money. We'll let you know when you're done paying. And yeah. uh, they lost, you know, all their colonies abroad, all their territories. You know, 30% of their territory, their pre-war territory was lost at Versailles. So, you know, obviously the situation was ripe. You know, and not only that, but then they had hyperinflation as a result of trying to pay for the war. We all know about what Mises said about Weimar Germany. We've all seen pictures of barrels, wheelbarrows full of, of money that Germans had in Weimar Germany. Kids using stacks of, of money as blocks to play with. Germans would heat their home, you know, with this money. They were going broke trying to pay these war reparations. Then they, when they couldn't pay it, France said, OK, then we're going to reinvade. So the French reinvaded in 1923. They reoccupied France. So, you know, the Germans were just completely humiliated through the 1920s. And as a result of this, communism spread throughout Germany. Yeah. And as a result of the communism, the nationalism arose. And they were like, we're going to stop the communists. And, well, who was the head of the Nationalist Party? Well, the number two of the Nationalist Party was Hitler. And when the number one guy died, Paul von Hindenburg, when Hindenburg died, Hitler was left in control. And just like that, he seized complete control. And, you know, then before you know it, Hitler, the Nationalists, their goal was not initially, we're going to murder all the Jews. It was, we're going to take back all that territory that we lost at Versailles. We're going to get it back. All that humiliation we suffered we're going to get back. All that territory, Gdansk, Alsace-Lorraine, all the territory we lost to the Poles and to the French, we're going to get it back.
0: And that's what he did. He took it back. The problem was he didn't stop there. He just kept going. Yeah, so and he, you know the world would have let him keep it too. Like they were kind of divided on on Poland, oh, yeah. but they were kind of like, like some of those. But when he like took back a big chunk of that land, he, like man, I can't even remember what that was called. But he took back that little land, and they're like, well, they're all German speaking anyways, and that used to be their kind of land, so they they let him have it, and if he would have fucking yeah, to who yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: but by the time you got a whole war industry. You can't stop that shit. It's you like, can't stop right? it it yeah. right? exactly. It's just like. You gotta but, 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 but like
2: but Tone, when we say the war industry, we're really talking about the elites. That, that's what I learned about writing this whole book. When we say the war industry, we're really talking about the Morgan's, the Rockefellers. Um
0: nowadays, you know, these it's, crazy it's, companies, dude, like IBM. IBM was like international business machine was crazy. involved. They help them automate the Holocaust. If it hadn't been for IBM, they would never have been able to do it and organize it in a way to like sit there and mass murder the Jews. And now they like, get government contracts. Yeah, these companies are still here. Mercedes, <laughs> all these fucking places, they were all
2: yeah, it's just absolutely wild. And on we just they get taxpayers for their contracts. <laughs> yeah, man. And then you know, <clears throat> and then I took a deep dive into like the Pacific aspect of, of World War II because that's where such a – you want to talk about horseshit. I mean, what, what first of all, Roosevelt completely instigated – He the Germans learned their lesson. They weren't going to fire the first shot like they, like they did in World War I. They just were not be provoked. Roosevelt knew this, so he turned his ire on the Japanese, and the Japanese were eventually forced into firing the first shot at Pearl Harbor. Just as Lincoln had forced the South into firing the first shot at, at uh, Sumter, so that kicked off the the world the, the war the war in the Pacific. But <clears throat> what people don't understand is how horrific this fighting was on these islands and these little islands in the Pacific that people have never heard of: Cape Gloucester, Iwo Jima, Peleliu. Um, you know, people dude, never the heard fucking of these Philippines.
0: He's like Philippines, all of these little dude was brutal
2: hand to hand jungle combat was just awful, awful stuff. Just brutal, brutal stuff. All of this paved the way for Vietnam, right? Yeah, all of this paved the way for the jungle warfare in the sixties and
0: the seventies.
2: So it's like, Dude,
0: and World War Two in the Middle East—the way that England divided things up—set it up for what we did in, like, in 1, Iraq. Yeah, one thousand percent.
2: And I traced—I have a whole chapter about
0: how we wound up in the I Middle blame East. the British Empire for <clears throat> all of it. Like I can go back like I can be like that crazy guy with all the like the red strings, you know what I mean, on the on the it's fucking true, board. Though. Yeah, it's you true. Can, you can trace back the it's British true. Empire for British, almost every modern problem. The British promised the same little spit of land to the Jews, to the Zionists, <laughs> to the Jews, they to they the Palestinians, them. to the French, the- to the right. Russians. Exactly. They promised all of them just to try to keep them in the war. Yeah.
2: And there's this great—if um, anybody's ever seen uh,
0: the movie Lawrence of Arabia, it's, it's yeah, been, uh, that's fucked, there's, man. Because there's Lawrence there's didn't want to do that. If you if you historically look at it, he knew he was like betraying the fucking all the Arabs because he like became one of them almost, and they like right. they had a different type of like system, dude, where they like literally your word meant something because they like, and so they believed Lawrence when he <clears> said. Because he was kind of like the ambassador. And yeah. he like and he was like working with them and he was saying, like, yeah, if you turn against your Ottoman rulers, if you fight for us and you get, you know, if you're too right. anyways, yeah, we yeah. promise you this we promise you this land. And they were fucking liars not only dude, that, the British are fucking liars. Not only that, but
2: as a result of um US nuclear capabilities, right? Which is a whole other story that I cover. It's just horrendous the way Harry Truman deployed a nuclear bomb on not one, but on two civilian populations. And I I go through in the whole book how he did not do it for wartime necessity as he, as he, you know, tried to convince the public, but rather for diplomatic purposes. He did it so that he would have the upper hand with the Soviets in post-war negotiations. And that diplomatic imbalance created the Cold War, which, like, in other words, Roosevelt's relationship with the Soviets was based on skepticism. All right, you know, we got to work with you. All right, you know, we, uh, I got to trust you. You got to trust me. We have a common enemy. We'll deal with each other. Truman knew, well, you know what? I don't need you sons of bitches anymore. I got this secret weapon now. I got the nuclear bomb. You guys can go screw. I don't need you anymore. So because of that, he was able to take a more hard approach with the Soviets. That was what created the Cold War. And that, because of the Cold War, eventually in the 1980s, the Soviets wound up in Afghanistan because they thought that this would be a good, you know, if, if we can, you know, control Central Asia, not only will this be a good buffer against U.S. interference or U.S. intervention into the Soviet mainland, but maybe one day we can even extend our way down to Pakistan, where we could have a, a warm water port for the first time. Russians have never had a warm water port. They've always wanted one. Even to this day, that's what's going on in the Ukraine right now, right? They need yeah. a warm water port. That's another story. But at the time, this had this had forced the Soviets into Central Asia. And, and as a result of the World War II nuclear capabilities, the imbalance that that created... That, that led to eventually, eventually, long-term, 1980s, it led to the Soviets in Afghanistan, which eventually, before you know it, if, if you guys have ever seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War, the U.S. began covertly uh, trickling weapons into Afghanistan to certain Mujahideen. One of these Mujahideen happened to be some guy by the name of Osama bin Laden.
1: Never heard of right? him. Right?
2: And – who would come to know it after eventually we wound up in the Gulf war fighting for Rockefeller oil again in 1991. This is after we didn't, we did it in Japan in 1942 fighting for Rockefeller oil. We're doing it again in 1991 being Saddam Hussein back for eventually what became known as Saudi Aramco, which is like the Saudi national oil company, which is Rockefeller ties tied to the Rockefellers who were linked to George Bush one. So we wound up in the Middle East by all these, by the British promising shit to the people they shouldn't have, by the Soviets. We're fighting the Soviets, and and we wound up in in the Saudi Peninsula because of Rockefeller oil. So all these different reasons conglomerate into the U.S. presence on the Saudi Peninsula. Bin Laden doesn't like it, and he starts this campaign against U.S. interests, which eventually escalates into 9-11. Well, guess what? This, the American elites, the American politicians couldn't be happier, right? Because now, you know, when you're fighting Germans or Japs, it's like, you know, you're fighting Germans or Japs. But Anybody can be a terrorist, right? When your enemy is an ideology, when it's an idea, yeah. anybody can be the enemy. So guess what? We're all suspects. That's why you, everybody's got to be searched at the airport. Everybody's telephone has to be tapped now. It just gives them an excuse to do whatever they want. Carte Blanche. And that includes murdering civilians like we were talking about earlier. Luck, yeah. Or his kids. And it includes locking up journalists like Julian Assange. Or exiling people who uh, reveal shit like Edward Snowden. Or prosecuting Chelsea Manning. Or any these people. It's just, One thing leads to another. And that, you know now we're, we live in this pseudo-fascist, corporatist police state. Where, you know, people get locked up for, by the way, all that, all that military equipment, eventually, like, the war becomes unpopular, and we switch to drone warfare, and eventually, all that surplus military equipment, now that we're using drones, where does it go?
0: It, it ends up on ways. our streets, man, yeah, all these police departments, these little tiny towns of ours that have, like, I don't know, 10,000 people in it, why do they have, like, a fucking tank and a SWAT team? Who's going to be Who needs a who, fucking tank? The are a no, terrorist. Uh, Bin Laden's not in small town America.
2: You are. You know what I mean? I they, yeah. they, Come on, we are. So it's, it's y'all
0: Qaeda now. Yeah.
2: Bob Higgs. That's what it is, best. man. He goes. All wars eventually come home, and uh, yeah, I think clearly that's what's happened with the war on terror. Obviously, you know. I mean, there was a there was a video not too long ago in Florida. Of some guy getting pulled over in a bearcat. He got pulled over by a guy in a tank.
0: I mean, come on. Is it, it's Ron Paul saying, right? It's like, uh, terrorism is the price of empire. Yeah, Yeah, right. It's, 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 and you know,
2: another good quote he had that I quote him in the book is he says that it's no coincidence that the century of warfare coincided with the century of central banking. Yep. Because without these Kabbalists funding this nonsense, it never would have been possible.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. that, without fractional they, reserve banking, without getting off of the gold standard and having like money that actually meant something, we'd never been able to pretend that we went to the moon, and we'd never also be able to like build these crazy, yeah, like nuclear weapons programs they, and all this crazy shit. They, they
2: they bankroll these wars, and they and, yeah. and this it, it creates this. Um, you know the boom bust business cycle that Mises talks about, and all this stuff, and eventually it comes back to bite you in the ass in the form of a recession. Well, that recession is then used as another emergency, another crisis. Like, so again, let's right print more money earlier, and send everybody checks with tarp and bailout for <laughs> bankers and you know
1: airlines and everybody else.
0: Yeah,
1: it's a but, big scam. Yeah, but during that recession, we get to buy up all the assets, so we have <laughs> to have the recession. That's...
2: You know, it's a scam, and guess what? We're on the wrong end of the stick.
0: You know it's, a scam, it's a great scam, it's
1: well, it's yeah, it's a pattern to it for sure.
0: But it it almost seems like they're getting to the end of the rope at this time because you see them all, dude. They're like cashing out, and there's like major like uh, members of government that are like stepping down, and like it just like. They they know they know that like the game is up at this point. Like I I think that like you you're <laughs> watching it crumble and they're going to be. I'm actually talking to somebody pretty soon. We're going to be talking about CBDCs and things like that about these central bank digital currencies and right. how they're you know like they're they're gonna get off the the dollar at some point Let me because they've destroyed the, the system. <clears> you know, that is
2: the the CBDCs are the worst because it's the worst. That's gonna help them target of the problem they have with this, all these stimulus injections is like they have to keep this Ponzi scheme going. So they have to eventually like every now and then they have to like do fresh injections of capital to keep it's almost like a, like a junkie rather than going through withdrawals has to take a shot of dope in the arm, right So it's like every now and then they have to take a shot of dope that, well every now and then the, the Federal Reserve has to inject the economy with a shot of capital. And um, they can't have you spending that capital on hard assets like gold or real estate or, you know, guns or something like that. They need you to go out and consume, go to Applebee's, go to the bar, buy, you know, go to the movies, you know, consume, 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 keep, keep You know. all these, like keep the whole Ponzi scheme, like keep these employees alive, keep that service sector economy going. And if they have the CBDCs, then you can get a little notification on your phone and they can say uh you know congratulations we've just given you $5000 but it can only be spent at target or the movies it can't be spent at yep. the gun shop can't be spent at the you know coinbase it can't be spent you know at the you know buying gold or anything like that and well, that's I that's, think that's one step
0: towards that too it's like so the government can't like Technically, the government can't tell you you can't buy guns, right? Unless you're a felon, and then they can take those rights away from you. That, that's one I would love to give to conservatives. It's like, so our rights are God given, right? Oh, right. so felons should be able to have guns too, right? Because that's a right to self defense, and then they lose their mind. But anyway, so their right, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they lose it. Uh, but so that's the other thing. So, uh, God damn it. What was I going to say? Okay. So. Okay, so that's how the government uses companies like uh, Visa and MasterCard and this and that and the other because they're attacking gun companies even more. So, like, right. they're just denying transactions. So, like, I can try to go in and, like, use my debit card to go and buy a fucking gun. And I, I'm hearing about, like, big major companies going, like, no, we're not going to do that transaction because oh, yeah. we don't we, – there's gun control. Dude, I mean, we need gun control. What they
2: did in Canada with the truckers?
0: hundred percent.
2: They, they were seizing bank accounts for people just who were protesting.
0: Yep. A lady so I, gave 10 bucks or something, and then they're like, well, we're freezing your bank account. But I'm they, not going to be able to pay my mortgage. I'm going to go into foreclosure. They don't care. Sorry, they bitch. Don't care. They, yeah.
2: they don't give a shit about <laughs> you or me or your mortgage or – if you can afford to feed your family. Yeah, because, I mean, care. they are banks, too. So they're like,
0: okay, well, we'll take your house, too. That's all right. <laughs> they,
2: they they just don't. This is what people don't think, understand. It's like they don't give a shit about you. It's like the quicker people understand that, the better off we're all going to be. Like, dispense with that fiction, people. They don't care about you, not even a little bit. Right. If Nancy portfolio, if Nancy Pelosi's portfolio can go up by 10% to sacrifice, you know, everybody who you
0: know and love. Guess what? See ya. That's gone. Yeah. That's it. So she can afford more <laughs> eyebrow injections and $20 yeah. ice cream pops. And <laughs> <It's yeah. insane. laughs> Crazy. Uh, all right, brother. We've had you on for quite a while. I think it's late where you're at. Uh, <laughs> I have Man. been
2: rambling. I apologize.
0: Oh, I love it, dude! No, this is this is what we do on here. You I, got I me like going. Having, yeah, it's good. This is guys. what we do, <laughs> uh, brother. What's the name of your new book that's coming out?
2: Um, I'm gonna call um, it "The American Experiments," and the subtitle is probably gonna be something along the lines of like what your public school history teacher won't tell you, or something like that. Hell yeah! Um, it should be out another month or so. I'm hoping. Like so a, maybe oh, like the yeah, beginning dude. of
0: November. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I definitely want to read it. And when it's out, we'll buy a couple copies and we'll do another hell giveaway yeah. to, our, to our audience. Absolutely, so. let's do it. Fuck yeah, well, dude, I appreciate you. Uh, this was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, Sal, do you have any other plugs you want to do? Like, uh, 3D printers go burr? I mean, we're almost getting to the brr? end of that, right? Uh, 3 printers How printer was brr. that gonna com? affect you? What's that? The new, like, where. Didn't dipshit say there's going to be some ghost gun banny thing? Like, we talked about that a little bit. Has any of that even come into... He third? can go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is black market anarchy. Yeah. He can go oh, 100%. But, himself. like, isn't he, like, making it illegal to sell, like, partials and stuff? Like, and maybe. I have no uh, idea. I fuck it. Still for crypto. Good. 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 Still got pure, pure cash. <laughs> if you want to buy them and you want to
2: purchase one without having to access a KYC payment platform, so there's no record of it, the government can. So if these are MasterCard, I can't prevent that sale. So I'm your guy, 3 com. Other than that, um, AgoraThreads.com for libertarian anarchist apparel. My current book out is Anti-Politics, which we've spoken about before. The new one should be out in a month or so. It's called The American Experiment. Check that out too. And
0: that's about it, man. Hell yeah, dude.
2: Thank and God. Tony,
0: I'm, I'm excited to fucking read your little book. And yeah. when we're done here, I'll send you the Sasquatch documentary so you can check that out. It's a quick, awesome It's like 30 minutes long, and it's fucking legit. Hell yeah. Please do. Okay. And what's that called again, too? Uh, the Search for Psychic Sasquatch. Psychic. It's a fun one, man. I got that and right And I got down. to bring my 15-year-old son with me, which was a lot of fun. Nice. I took him out in awesome. the woods and we went hunt for Bigfoot. Awesome. All right. Gentlemen, thank you so much. I'm going to hit the outro. Have a oh, good night, guys. Okay.